If you would, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's where our lesson is going to come from tonight, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the lesson this morning uh, was, it was, it was rooted in some of the idea of what the scriptures talk about when it talks about giving thanks. And I think it is extremely important and valuable, essential to give thanks to God for so many of the things that he's blessed us with and for so many of the good people he's put into our lives, to thank God for our families and for the church and for our food and for the, the daily blessings that we have and share and enjoy. But I also believe, and, and we'll see uh, that Paul does this very thing, it's also important to give thanks to the people for whom you are thankful. Let people know the things that they are doing and let people know the things that the, they're engaged in that you're thankful for. And I, this morning, gave a very small list of some of the things that I'm thankful for about this church, a list that could have gone on and on. When, it, when you consider how many people are in, involved in uh, the education and, and teaching, how many people are involved in uh, the uh, attendance and talking to each other, like you we don't do anything without attendance. You know, it's, it's an important thing that you're here, that you, you prioritize and value uh, gathering together for worship. How many people are involved in leading worship services and offering prayers and offering uh, Lord's Supper thoughts and all of those things? Uh, things like the Breakfast Club. And not only what you do with the Breakfast Club, but then also what you do at dinner. You know, you meet together at dinner. You, like one of the, I think when it comes to evangelism and making people feel at home, just meetings like that, I think, is one of the greatest things that this church does. And, and really, you could go on and on. How many people, uh, including Rob especially, who have uh, put so many hours and days and weeks and months into uh, the work that's going on onto the others in the, the building over there? Uh, that's something that's going to be a rich blessing for this church, and it's not easy to do. And again, I, I just anytime you give a list, you're leaving out important things, and I don't want to do that, but I can't. Uh, I can't mention everything. But there's a lot to be thankful for. And, the, and you read the book of First Thessalonians, you see Paul come back regularly to this idea of giving thanks specifically to God for these Christians. And yet the fact that we're reading it lets us know that he's not only giving thanks to God, he's also letting them know. He wrote down what he gives thanks to God for and he sent it to them so they could see his thankfulness and appreciation for them. Now the book of First Thessalonians, the way it's structured is uh, the first, it's five chapters, and uh, the first three chapters are basically a long, beautiful thanksgiving. Uh, he will say several times during it how thankful he is for them, and then he'll discuss that gratitude and what it means and, and how it's been beneficial in, in all of those ways until he gets to the next, I'm so thankful. In fact, there are three times where he'll say uh, how thankful he is for them in chapter one, and then in chapter two, and then in chapter three. He does it one in each chapter. And then the last two chapters, uh, he helps to you know, the thing to know about the church in Thessalonica is they were doing great. Uh, they were a wonderful church, and he was very thankful for them, but they were a young church that was started in tumultuous conditions in a hostile environment, and they didn't, they weren't able to receive an awful lot of teaching. And so the last two chapters are encouraging them to continue doing the things that they're doing well. He says, I know you're already doing these things, but excel still more, you know, like do even better. But then also clarifying some of the misunderstandings that they had, uh, specifically about the second coming of Jesus and, and uh, resurrection and, and how those things fit together. There was some confusion about that. But it's a beautiful book because it's, it's one where there's not much rebuke at all. There's a lot of thanksgiving. There's a lot of encouragement. And then there's some teaching and clarification. Uh, but, but it's a wonderful book to read for a church that's doing well. And 
And I love the phrase that Paul uses a couple of times in it when he says, you're doing these things, but excel still more. Like, see if you can do even better. And, uh, and really, when I think about what, about what this church at Maryville needs, I feel like we're engaged in so many good things. And if there's any encouragement that we could use, it's to excel still more, you know, to, to continue in those things and to, to see what greater things you can do. But what I wanted to do for the lesson tonight is uh, start off looking at these first three chapters and kind of see what Paul's list of, of thanksgivings are for them. Um, we will, uh, in order to read First Thessalonians, this is one of those books where it really is important, uh, and, and we're, we're blessed to be able to do this, to understand the context or the occasion that led to the writing of the letter. You know, there are some letters that we have, and we're not 100% certain what exactly Paul or Peter or someone was going through that, uh, or, or the church itself that led them to write the letter. And so you kind of have to read the letter to piece together clues and figure out what, what, what necessitated the writing of this letter. First uh, Thessalonians is one where it's in the letter, but then also in the book of Acts, you can get a pretty solid idea of what was going on that led to Paul needing to write this letter. And it's something that I think you can definitely understand when you put yourself in Paul's shoes. Paul, this is Acts 17, Paul had gone to Thessalonica, and uh, he had for three Sabbaths reasoned with the Jews concerning the scriptures, and they discussed, and, and a number of, of Jewish people, but then also some prominent women and some others, they ended up becoming obedient to the gospel during that time. And, you know, it's possible he was there longer, but Acts only mentions three weeks that he was there. And in that three-week period, he was able to do teaching, certainly, but also during that time, a hostile opposition arose, and Paul had to flee Thessalonica for his life, and he had to leave. I mean, think about, think about planting a church in a city that, first off, three weeks of teaching causes such a stir that they uh, take you to the authorities and they say, you've turned the whole world upside down and you've come here and you're messing up this place. Like, that's, that's a dangerous environment to be teaching. People wanted to imprison or stone or beat or kill. And, and so, like, oh, this, these Christians are giving their lives to something that's putting their lives on the line. And they're committing themselves to something in a very dangerous place to be. Paul has to leave, like flee for his life. He ends up going to Berea next. And, and it's interesting, the Bereans, uh, there's a famous verse about the Bereans. A lot of people, you know, we don't often know anything about the Bereans except for they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians because they actually engaged the scriptures daily to see whether or not these things were so. Like the Bereans were willing to have the conversation. The Thessalonians, they were just, just going to put it into Paul. You know, they didn't want him saying these things. But notice that, that famous verse about the, uh, the noble-mindedness of the Bereans who were willing to study and search the scriptures daily, that's a contrast to the people of Thessalonica, who for th- he was only able to be there for three weeks before he had to run out of town. And so Paul leaves, and you know what he's concerned about? What about those people? I, I mean, three-week-old Christians are still babes in the faith. They- they're, not- they're not deeply committed. They don't understand a lot of things yet. They haven't endured a lot yet. And so he is very concerned for them. Uh, as you keep reading in Acts, he ends up, uh, he's in Berea for a while. He ends up making his way south and he gets into Achaia, which is like where Greece and Corinth is. And when he's there, uh, he ends up, um, he ends up writing this letter back to Thessalonica. And uh, that letter comes because he had been so concerned about them that he sent Timothy back 
to Thessalonica to like sneak his way back into the city to find out is the church even still okay there? Like, like if you had a three-week-old church and then you left and that church was being persecuted, you wouldn't know. Like, are they still, are they still together? Are they still meeting with each other? You, you can't get on Facebook and check and see about their online streaming services or anything. Like, the, it, you don't really know how the church is doing. And so he was very concerned. It's very possible that they thought, you know what? That was a neat three weeks, but uh, this is kind of dangerous. I'm going back to my life. And so he didn't know how the church was. He didn't know what, what was going on there. If they had turned against Paul because there were, there were people there who wanted to kill Paul who were saying terrible things about him. Like, did they end up agreeing with those people? Who's, who's helping these Christians now? It's like all of these thousands of worries and concerns are in his mind. So when Paul goes to Greece, he sends Timothy back there. And Timothy goes and he meets with the church in Thessalonica. And then Timothy travels back to where Paul is and gives him a report about how the church is doing. This is the reason for Thanksgiving, because the report he gets is a really good one. And so First Thessalonians is Paul's letter to them. I think he finds out a couple of things. I think he finds out that they still love him, they're still faithful, they're still growing, they're still together, and he's thrilled about that. Thus, the first three chapters of Thanksgiving. I think he hears some of the things that they're doing well, some of the things they might need some encouragement in, and so he lists a few of those things. And then he finds out that there is some confusion in the church there about the, the second coming and about the resurrection. So he tries to clarify those things, and he sends off this, this letter. And so you can see how this letter meets a very practical need for the church. This is them hearing back from Paul after he left. I mean, I, I, I've, we've been thinking about it from Paul's perspective, Think of it also from that church's perspective. They don't have uh, New Testaments that they can sit there and read Paul's. Like, the, the First Thessalonians is one of the first books written in the New Testament, probably. Uh, and, and so you, you read through, it's like the, they don't have a wealth of apostolic teaching to guide them through. So they're doing the best they can. So this letter is no doubt a tremendous blessing to them. It, it legitimately, practically helps them in their obedience to the faith and understanding what they've committed themselves to. So I, I love the book of 1 Thessalonians, and, uh, and it's an encouraging book. It's, a, it's exciting to kind of see historically how it helps this early church out, and you can understand the way Paul's thinking as he writes through it. Uh, but what I want to do for the lesson tonight is read through his list of what he's thankful for when he considers the church at Thessalonica. Um, verse 2 of chapter 1 is where he begins. He says... We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And then he tells them what the content of that is. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of, God, of our God and Father. So he mentions three things right there off the bat. Your work of faith their labor of love and the steadfastness of their hope. And I think each of these give... Um, a different shade on what the obedient Christian life is all about. The faith that you have, the allegiance to Jesus that you give, and your trust that you put in him, it is going to manifest itself in your actions and in the work that you do. And he hears not only that they are faithful, but they are putting their faith into practice and they're working their faith. They are putting their faith into action towards one another. So he is thankful for the fact that they have faith, that they have committed themselves to Christ, but also that that faith is manifesting itself in their works that they're doing. That's, that's the pattern that you're supposed to have, faith resulting in works, and he sees that among them. Then he mentions their labor of love, which again, 
that they are not only do they believe the right things, uh, but they genuinely love one another and they love the Lord. And that love is also producing. That love is producing faithfulness in times of difficulty. And if you if you consider persecution, the the only reason you're going to endure persecution is if you truly believe what you're doing is right. You have faith. And if you genuinely love those that you're being persecuted for and love the Lord for whom you're, if, if you believe it but you don't love it, then it's like it's easier to walk away from that. Uh, if you love something or love the idea of something but you don't believe the reality of it, then that love is hard to maintain. But it's when you have that faith and when you have that love that even in times of, per- of persecution, you can have what he mentions next, steadfastness or perseverance of hope like a hope that remains. Their hope and their love and their faith are what are keeping them through and keeping them faithful and keeping them united, even in these dark and difficult times. And so when he thanks God, they have faith, they have love, and they have hope. And that hope is steadfast and it's remaining. And that love is worth laboring over and even suffering for. And that faith is being put into action and practice. He goes on to describe in more detail some of the good things that they're doing. But notice in verse 6. I think in verse 6, you're seeing what it kind of looks like when your faith and your hope and your love are all producing the right things. He says in verse 6, You became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So when, you, when your faith and hope and love are, are trending in the right direction and they're producing the right things, then you're going to become an imitator of Paul and the, the, the apostles, but also of the Lord himself. It's like that you end up looking more and more like them. And he mentions that this imitation is seen in the fact that they received the word even when it costs them, even in much tribulation. And yet that tribulation that they experienced did not deprive them of their joy in the Holy Spirit. They received the word with tribulation, but also with joy in the Holy Spirit. So that, verse 7, you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. So think about, you know, they were imitating Paul and Jesus, but in their imitation, they became examples for others to imitate. And he mentions these others in these surrounding areas, the rest of Macedonia. Well, I mean, that's where you're going to get like the Bereans. And that's where you're going to get the Philippi. And that's where you're going to get some of these other cities. That's where you're going to, in Achaia, that's where you're going to get Athens and Corinth. And, And so like these other churches you've heard of, they have heard of the church at Thessalonica. So you go, you go back in Acts 17 and you find out, oh, the Thessalonians, they're not very noble-minded. They chased Paul out of town. Not all of them. Some of them remained faithful. Some of them remained faithful even when everyone else around them despised what Paul said. Even when else, everyone else around them wanted to kick Paul out of the city and even when all of that was going on, there are some who not only remained faithful, they became an example of, of, of what faithfulness is. They were noble-minded. Uh, and so you read this letter and you get a better impression, at least of some of the people at Thessalonica. This is probably a small church. It's probably a smaller gathering. But even when everyone else around them abandoned or rejected, they remained committed and faithful. And that amount of, of faithfulness became an example so that people who are in these other areas could see it and learn from it and imitate it themselves. And Paul knows about this example because verse 8, he says something really interesting. He says, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. It's like the word of the Lord has gone forth from you guys 
not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is like there in Macedonia, Achaia is to the south of them, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And so in this, he says, your guys' faith has actually become an example to others, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but like everywhere. And so when I go to a new place, they tell me, hey, I heard that the people of Thessalonica, they were obedient and faithful and committed, and they became an example. And they, the, many of the, the Gentiles turned away from idols, and they became a faithful adherence to the word of God. And it's... It, It's a beautiful thing when Paul, like the word about how good this church is doing is spreading faster than Paul is. You know, Paul's journeys can't even keep up with how uh, fast the word is spreading among believers. And that's a really encouraging thing. And that's, again, Paul's thankful. This is a big, long paragraph about how thankful he is for them because of all of these different things. I just... By the way, just to compliment uh, the church here at Maryville for a second, uh, we just had a missions committee meeting uh, right before service tonight that we were just meeting, and Tom Langley said something that he said it, and I thought, that's like exactly what Paul said in First, uh, First Thessalonians 1. He mentioned how he'll go to these different, uh, different uh, churches or campuses or different places, and he'll set up a booth for WEI, and people will see uh, Maryville Church of Christ— I know, I know about their mission work that they're engaged in. And he says that we have in a lot of ways become an example of, of mission work to other churches. People have asked him to go and teach their churches about what we're doing in mission work so that they can imitate that type of thing. And so anyway, that's, that's you guys. That's, that's you being involved, contributing, being faithful. And, uh, and so as Paul mentions that he's thankful that the faithfulness of the church of Thessalonica has spread and that people have seen it and learned from it, I just heard someone tonight saying the same thing about this church, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so that's the first Thanksgiving that Paul gives. And you can, you can keep reading and find how he moves from this into the next one. But the next one he mentions is in chapter 2 and verse 13. After discussing again how, uh, how they received the word that they heard from him and how they saw the integrity of the apostles. You know, some people, uh, Paul apparently was accused uh, from time to time of, of impure motives or doing things for the wrong reasons. And he says one of the things that he loves about the church at Thessalonica is that they actually trust him. And they know that, know that he, he proved to be a person of integrity. He proved to be someone who you could trust. He worked with his own hands. He wasn't just trying to get their money. And he wasn't uh, trying to just teach whatever they wanted to hear so that he could uh, receive, you know, glory for that or whatever. Like, he actually suffered. He treated them as a loving father and even as a loving mother, you know, looks for her children. Paul says, that, that, you know that that's the kind of example I was. So he, he moves on from that. But he continues to talk about their initial reception of the word of God. And that's one of the things that he's thankful for. When you get to verse 13, he says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So he says, you had the appropriate mindset about the word of God when it came to you. 
I, when I think of things that I'm thankful for about a church, I think the way that they view the Word of God is one of the most important aspects of what um, the life of a church is like. In churches that not only believe that they're holding the words of God uh, in, in Scripture, in churches that not only, uh, you know, conceptually understand that, but churches that dive in and want to be people who know the Word of God, who believe the Word of God, who treat, teach and, and trust the Word of God, people who live by the Word of God. Uh, that is one of the best things you can look for in a church. Uh, and that's something that I know this congregation is dedicated to, which is a love for the Word of God. And Paul, as he talks about the Word of God here, I think he's probably talking about the Word that he was speaking, and probably the Old Testament as well. But I think the idea of this applies to us who are holding our Bibles today as well, that the Word of God that we hold in our hands is something that it's not the Word of men. And it's not something that, you know, is take it or leave it as you please. You know, you pick this out and you ignore that. It's not like a cafeteria where you find that. When God speaks, you listen. And when we open up our Bibles, God is speaking. And that's a powerful, transformative experience. And it's something that is sacred. And it's something that is, should be life-altering for us. And Paul says... I love that that's how you considered the Word of God when you heard it. It wasn't just the Word of men. It was the Word of God which, that final phrase, also performs its work in you who believe. The Word of God performs work in the people who believe it. When you hear the Word of God with an open and honest heart and you allow it to enter into you and to transform you, then the Word of God produces the works that you see done. I mentioned a lot of things that I'm very thankful for about this church earlier today. And a lot of those are things that we do here. But there's a very real sense in which, yes, we're doing those things, but it's also the very Word of God that is doing those things. There's a sense in which God himself is active and at work through those things. And the Holy Spirit is working through those things. And so we are open to what God is doing, but we're allowing the Word of God to perform its work here by hearing it and believing it and enacting it out. That's what happens. I mean, the Word of God is powerful and transformative. It's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and that's something that we're able to carry with us here. And when Paul thinks of what he's thankful for about the church in Thessalonica, their reception of the Word of God as actually God's Word is one of the, those key ideas. And it's something, again, that's worth suffering for. Uh, in verse 14 of chapter 2, this is going to sound familiar. He says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God of, of Jesus Christ that are in Judea. So notice that he says, I'm thankful for you. And you accepted the word of God and you became imitators of the churches in Judea. Well, if you go back to chapter 1, when he says he's thankful uh, that they received, uh, that they're, they're living faithfully. When you get to verse 6, he says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. So, so they're learning from the faith of others and imitating that, whether it's the faith of the Lord or the apostles, including Paul, or the churches of Judea. Like, they're seeing what the Word of God has produced in other people, and they are living into that themselves as well. And so you can see in verse 14, specifically, this imitation is seen in verse 14 where it says, For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen as they did the Jews. And so for many of the, the Christians in Judea, like Paul himself was among them, who suffered and were persecuted for the faith— here you are in Thessalonica, 
and your suffering and being persecuted for the faith. But just as the church in Judea, read the book of Acts, when they suffered, what did they do? They, they didn't give up. They continued to spread. You know, even when they had to flee, they left and they took the gospel with them so that the gospel was able to spread through suffering. And, and you saw that the church con- consistently was emboldened. And in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, the disciples are uh, told that they are not allowed to speak in the name of, of Jesus anymore, and they're actually beaten for that. And it says they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Like there was an attitude of even if you try to persecute us and make us suffer, we are going to go on our way rejoicing that God has blessed us to share in suffering with Jesus, and we're still going to take the word of God with us. He says that example that you saw in those churches in Judea, you became imitators of that. And just as they suffered from their countrymen, you're suffering from your own countrymen. And yet you're remaining faithful through it all. And for that, Paul gives thanks. And so as you keep going, you get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, actually, if you look up just right before chapter 3, right at the very end of chapter 2, I love, if you're looking for uh, the way that Paul feels about the church in Thessalonica, he says something really powerful in verse 19 and 20. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? When he considers the, the crown that he has and who is the hope and the joy in this, this crown of exaltation, he says, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. I think Paul's proud of this church. You know, uh, when, when you read his, he doesn't say that to Galatia. <laughs> like, like, he likes what's going on there. And, uh, and it just pours forth in his imagery and in the, letter, uh, the, the words that he's writing. But he loves them so much, that was one of the things that made it so hard for him to leave them. Because remember, he's, in, in chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, it was like, when I preached to you, you accepted it as the word of God. But then because of persecution, he had to flee. But man, he loved them. They were his joy and crown of exaltation. And so it drove him crazy to be separated from them and to not know how they were doing. So in chapter 3 and verse 1, he talks about the decision to send Timothy back there and to find out how are they? Like, I was so proud of this church. How are they doing now? And in verse uh, 1, he says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. So Paul is in, is in uh, Athens, and he sends Timothy, and Timothy goes there to find out about their faith and to encourage them and to strengthen what he can find that's there. And so Timothy goes on this mission, and Paul mentions here, he's like, we tried to prepare you for this beforehand. We tried to prepare you about the coming afflictions that we were all going to endure. Well, now they have come, and so we... We knew that you would need strength if you were going to endure that. So he sent Timothy there. And then verse 5, again, he says, And for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, it's like when I couldn't stand anymore to, to not know how you were doing, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So notice the, the multiple reasons there he talks about sending Timothy. One, he wants to find out about their faith. You know, Satan is at work. Satan is at work in Thessalonica. He's at work through persecution. 
Are you still committed to this thing? And if so, Timothy is there to strengthen and to help encourage that as well. So he sends Timothy, verse 6. This is our good news verse. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. It's like Timothy just returned to Paul. And he has brought good news of your faith and love. By the way, that word good news uh, we know that word. Uh, in, in other verses, that's translated as gospel. Uh, the word gospel, you know, this isn't saying that he, he brought the death, burial, and resurrection of your faith to us. Like, the word gospel, it, ju- it was a very standard word. It was used in secular audiences as well. It's a word that literally just means, like, good news. It's used about women giving childbirth. It's used uh, politically about a king who, like, maybe has, has conquered an area that was unruly and brought peace to that area. That's gospel. That's good news. And so Paul is using the word, I think, in its common sense right here. But it's, it's interesting that that's the word that he's using. He says that he came, he brought us the gospel of your faith. And uh, he brought us the good news of your faith and your love that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this, brethren, we, uh, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. And so as Paul considers the persecution he's going through, what brings him comfort through suffering and hardship is knowing about their faith, that they are still committed, that they are still full of love, and that they still like Paul. I think he really liked them, and he, I think he was concerned that if they had turned against him, they would turn against his message, they'd turn against the gospel. But the fact that they still love Paul, that means the world to him. So he is, uh, this is a good news book. And, uh, and so he's writing in verse 8, he says, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. It's like there's life But real life is experienced when I see the brothers and sisters that I love continuing to be faithful to the Lord. So this is our third Thanksgiving in verse 9. For what more thanks can we render to God for you? For what thanks can we give for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and complete what is lacking in your faith. And so Paul is saying, so having gotten Timothy back, what, what more thanks could I give? You know, it's like this is when we finally hear the good news about how you are doing. And so Paul earnestly wants to see them again. He ends chapter 3. This is kind of a, a, a transition in the book where he says uh, a, basically a prayer in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself... And Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as you also do, as just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. So Paul ends with this word of prayer. He's given thanks three times. He's explained all about their situation that brings him joy and comfort and peace. And he prays to God that he could see them again and that God would continue to to have these things increase. And uh, when I think about the church here, I think I can, I feel like I could echo a lot of the words that Paul has said. And that is something that makes ministry uh, a genuine joy. So when it comes to the week of Thanksgiving, uh, I have a lot to be thankful for. I love my family. I love my wife. I love uh, uh, many of the good things in my life, but I'm also very thankful for this church family. And uh, I, uh, 
I, I read what Paul says, and I feel like, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I feel like that's, I, I could see that as well. Um, and so uh, I guess as we close, I want to encourage you to increase and abound in love for one another. Continue in the good that you've been doing, and I think as this year closes and as we prepare for a new year, great things are ahead for this church. Um, if there's anyone here tonight who would like the prayers of this church, maybe you're going through some hardship or suffering and you want the prayers and the help of this community, or if there's anyone here who um, is, uh, is looking to give your life to Christ in baptism, we would love to help you in that. Uh, if there's any way that we can help, please let it be known. Come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.